This podcast is proof that if in the modern era you want to watch any movie, it is literally at your fingertips. Life is awash in content. Of course, it wasn't always so. As a young boy enamored with movies in the late 1950s and early 1960s, I had to work hard to see the latest adventure films. El Cid, Ben-Hur, Spartacus, usually played in a single theater or drive-in, often across town. Multiple movies and multiplexes were a dream of the future. On TV, we had only three network channels. They signed off for the day at midnight. No cable, no streaming service. September 23, 1961 was a monumental day. It marked the debut of NBC's Saturday Night at the Movies. Once a week, they showed a notable film. It's where I first saw The African Queen with Bogart and Hepburn, Taras Bulba and the exploits of Cossacks on the Russian steppes, the naked jungle and its attack of relentless army ants. And I believe it's where I first saw what for me at the time was an exciting, violent, adventure-filled movie epic with big name stars, notably Kirk Douglas, Tony Curtis, Janet Lee, and Ernest Borgnine. They embodied what seemed like Hollywood's quintessential 1958 tale of lawless wrath, blood, and plunder, known simply as the Vikings. Welcome to The Holdup. Each month, we pick a movie one of us remembers fondly but hasn't seen in years. We watch it and we decide, does it hold up? I'm John Longineau. I'm John Nelson. I'm Bob Longineau. And welcome, dear father, <laughs> Hello, to the Hold Up Podcast. And now I'm surrounded Hello, by Longinos. Daddy. <laughs> I know, two to one. Two Longinos to one, Nelson. Looks like we're going to run away with this one. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to see what the uh, what the debate section looks like with uh, with two Longinos on, on the other side of this. Yes, I am pleased to bring to the Hold Up Podcast my father, Bob Longino, longtime film critic, and a huge influence on my life. Dad, I think of, of anyone I, I speak about on this podcast, your name probably comes up the most. I'm always like, well, my father was a film critic, and therefore <laughs> he showed me this, or I like this. A huge influence on my life and my tastes. Welcome, Dad. Thank you. It's good to be here. Excellent. You have brought the Vikings. I'm very excited to check that out. Uh, briefly, before we get to that, I need to mention that if anyone would like to send us an email you can email us at holduppodcast at gmail.com, or you can visit our website, holduppodcast.com, where we have links to all of our social media pages. Dad, you got a social media handle you want to shout out here? Or? Um, n- no. I'm old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're not you hashtag cool, cool grandpa at... at uh, twitter.biz or uh, he can be no, reached at no. the daily planet via uh, snail mail <laughs> that's right that's right. oh yes snail mail <laughs> to send all your corrections <laughs> well actually a red kryptonite was nearby so that's why the coloring on panel three was off i only must say that i have one philosophy and that is that everyone in the world has the right when they see a movie to be wrong 
<laughs> well, that actually yes. leads into my question for you, Bob, which is, do you stand behind your 1977 review of the movie Star Wars? Oh, oh but yes. of course. <laughs> uh, for some brief context, while I was visiting my father last year, we unearthed a uh, newspaper clipping of his review of Star Wars, and I was... Uh, very surprised and really delighted to see how much he he sort of disliked the movie or at least was <laughs> very critical of the movie. It wasn't that I disliked the movie. It was that I thought that everyone else was overreaching with it. Oh, sure. They well, were, they I were... remember reading Carrie Fisher's A Terrible Actress. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, uh, it was Darth Vader the droid. That was, that was mentioned. Mm-hmm. So it was... I, for, by the way, your opinions were all fine, but it was it was funny. You know how when we grow up, we learn that our parents were people, and just <laughs> the, the gods that raised us. There was something like really funny to me about a child who just worship Star Wars like it was his religion to find his father's clipping basically being like this ain't all that like, so it's sort of the, the, the thing I thought that was amazing well and do know that Carrie Fisher improved yes. in her performances over the years I mean you're not wrong she does jump accents in the movie you know Let, let's be fair so. yeah well, all of a sudden she's British and then she's like Canadian I couldn't figure that I, I agree with Longino. The the thing that delights me the most is uh, not that you didn't like it, but just, the, you know, because you're in the vacuum at that point of like, it's not the juggernaut that it's going to become in, you know, a year, five years, 10 years. It's just another movie that's out. The so. guy sitting next to me in the theater kept going, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found pretty annoying. That was me. That was me quantum leaping in that person. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. Cool. I mean, it is something to see. You know, I'm sure to watch a movie that's like, ah, that was fine. Whatever. It's it's fine. And then to watch your son slowly fall under its influence to you know to, to the fact that I'm sure that you're looking at the lightsabers on the wall right now. Yeah, Bob. I am. <laughs> he quite, quite literally has a view of and thinking of about. Thinking also about how I took John when he was two years old to his first Star Wars movie, and we sat on the front row. Oh, wow. And he sat on the edge of his seat and enthralled with the screen the entire time. Mm -hmm. That was Return of the Jedi. I was like, two? Mm -hmm. I actually, it's one of my earliest memories. I actually remember that screening. Let's make this, make sure this is perfectly clear and for the record. Han shot first. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. George Lucas tried to convince me that he didn't. Oh, really? And I was like, oh, let's let's cue up the original film right now and go step by step. (laughs) You were litigating with George Lucas? Absolutely. In his house. In his house? Really? What? Really? When was this? Tell this story. When they sit, when they did the second wave of movies that weren't very good. The prequel films. <laughs> the prequel films. Um, we went to uh, Skywalker Ranch to see the movie, saw the movie, interviewed people, and one of them, of course, was George. And I don't know how we got into the original Star Wars and Han versus Greedo, but he said that Greedo shot first, and I was, no. <laughs> no way. Well, uh, and, and it's important for Han's character because he was he was a rogue. Yes. And he eventually became a good guy. So, yes. Well, let, let's be accurate here. Uh, on behalf of 
the entire world. Thank you. I'll say that. I'm glad. I'm glad to know he got the message. Good to know that there was a Longino in the room <laughs> defending Han Solo. I'm glad all the yes men were pierced through so that at least at some point he could hear the criticism. I think it is entirely fair. Uh, but yes, that's true, Dad. You you have a of course being a critic, you have a history of of uh, being very forthright with your opinions about movies. And that's something I've carried on into my life, as I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is <laughs> well aware of. But we are not here to necessarily talk about a film we hate or <laughs> didn't like very much. We're here to talk about a movie you remember really enjoying. And that was The Vikings yeah. from the 50s. Yes. Is it, is 1958. It 1958. So tell us, I actually, we're coming to this I have never seen the Vikings. I'm Nor familiar I. with the cast you mentioned. Nelson, you haven't seen it. Either. I have not. I almost rented it several times when I was, I, I used to work at uh, Disney Home Video and they had their own little video closet where you mm. could go and rent movies for free because you were an employee. Yeah, I saw the Vikings several times. I guess Disney owned the rights to it or had a copy of it. Maybe. I don't know. But they, uh, they had it there and I almost rented it like every night, but I never did. So that's that's my oh, amazing story. <laughs> well, I almost <laughs> well, did a thing and it never happened. <laughs> well, thankfully, since you haven't, we were able to come in here fresh as babes to, to the film. That's right. But yeah, I, I, I'm actually really fascinated by this, Dad, because one of the things in the podcast we talk about a lot is Nelson and I have a sort of generational divide. He's a Gen Xer. I'm an elder millennial. <laughs> and so uh, this is our first time having not only my father, but a baby boomer on the podcast. And since we talk about generations and sort of perspective, I, I sort of challenged you to bring a film from your childhood here. Right. Um, so the Vikings is something you saw in your childhood? I saw it. Maybe I was eight, nine years old, 10 years old. And it was, you know, it's this epic not really swashbuckling, but sure. renegade attackers from the north who come down and and eviscerate whales, capture a woman. Actually, the film is about two brothers. They don't know they're brothers. Uh, Kirk Douglas and Tony Curtis. Kirk Douglas is the son of uh, Ragnar Lothbrok who's a major main, uh, main character in the TV series, The Vikings, that has been on recently. Oh, so this is like a hi historical character. It is somewhat of a historical character. We don't know if he was actually real himself or whether he's a composite of three or four different people oh, okay. from Viking lore. Got it. Uh, but Ragnar... <laughs> yeah, well, it's in the Hamlet and the King Lear and the whole thing of Vikings. So Ernest Borgnine is Ragnar. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas is his son, um, and he's sort of like a leader of the group. And then there is Tony Curtis, who is a slave and an unknown half brother to Kirk Douglas. Oh, so it's sort of like the Moses story, or I guess I should say it's more like a reverse Moses story. Like <laughs> in Moses, they're brothers. Oh wait, they're not. Uh, this one, he's a slave, and oh, it turns out they're brothers. So sort of like, let's call it half Moses. <laughs> what else do you remember about the movie? Oh, uh, well, I remember, of course, Janet Lee. She plays a, it's either a Welsh princess or a Welsh queen who they kidnap. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so it's like Helen of Troy. And then there's, yes, it's like Helen of Troy. And then there's 1950s anti-feminist activities. 
Got it. Is this, here's a question. Is this an origin story for Jamie Lee Curtis? Is this like where <laughs> Tony Curtis and I Janet Lee like met? I don't think, I think they were already married they were when already they made together. this movie. Okay. And I don't think it was the first time they had, had acted together. But something very interesting about this film and why people were interested in it is Ernest Borgnine, just a few years prior, had won Best Actor Oscar for Marty. Okay. Kirk Douglas had numerous nominations, had the previous year, I think it was the previous year, made um, Lust for Life, the Vincent Van Gogh story. Right. Tony Curtis, this same year, did The Defiant Ones, released with Sidney Poitier. They were both nominated for Best Actor. (laughs) He followed up this film with Some Like It Hot, Oh, yes. Which oh, is a great comedy. Janet Lee, by 1962 years later, was in Psycho. Oh, wow. Also nominated. So you, these were three major stars at major uh, crossroads in their careers. Now, did any of that mean anything to you when you were a kid seeing the movie? No, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. But in, in hindsight, that's, that's interesting. Right, right. About. What meant to me were things that happened in the movie. Disfigurement. Um, <laughs> Uh, utter violence and lust right right you know a limb being cut off here and there oh man jack cardiff did do the cinematography okay um he did uh black narcissus yeah the director of this movie i think is richard fleischer yes richard fleischer and you'll know his other movies he did red sonja (laughs) <laughs> yes. He did Conan the but, Barbarian. But of course. No, well, no, he did the Conan the Destroyer because the Barbarian was John Milius, right? I guess so. Okay. There. See, now he we're getting Conan into my movie. era. Now, now we're getting into when I was a kid, so <laughs> I remember this. Very one. importantly, he did Soylent Green. Well, oh, yes. I, then that course. is, indeed, he has earned his place in the canon. And for some reason, he did Neil Diamond in The Jazz Singer. I, I don't get it either. <laughs> Is that like a remake of the yeah. original Jesse? Yeah, I've never heard of it. With that. Neil with Diamond. Neil no reason you should. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, plus absolutely no CGI, which, of course, I had right. no idea at the time what that was. But this was very much like, you know, Steven Spielberg as a child making movies with his scout troop and using uh, firecrackers in the dirt as bullets and (laughs) stuff. It's it's along that line. So how old were you when you saw this movie? Oh, I said I thought I was either 8, 9, or 10. 8 or 9 or 10, okay. And had you seen other sort of violent films like this, or was this like the first one? Well, most movies were violent. (laughs) (laughs) It's a silly silly question. I'm sorry. No, no, (laughs) I had seen other violent stuff. I mean, El Cid, they have... This, you know, war and mm-hmm. stuff going on. That was pretty interesting. It's not that it's so ultraviolet with a lot of blood necessarily. Although, I mean, disfigurement <laughs> is pretty exciting <laughs> at the particular time. But a lot of the sexual stuff was talked about, innuendo and ah, yes. not right. necessarily shown. Quick cut to fade to black. <laughs> Got it. Sort of right. like a Rhett Butler throws Scarlet up the stairs and would just shan't see what else continues. Okay. That makes sense. Did you watch this with your family or was this by yourself? All by myself. 
There was a movie program in the mornings on the ABC channel that my mother and I, before I ever went to school, was four and five years old, that we would watch each morning. But they weren't classic movies. Right. They were just, you know, bad detective films. <laughs> my parents played a lot of bridge, but I watched a lot of movies by myself. I mean, and to put it into context, I watched The Moon Landing by myself. Wow. Yes, you've always told me this story in which blows my mind, but that is true. You've told me that no one else in the family watched the moon landing except you. That's correct. That seems crazy to me. My parents were on their honeymoon and they stopped whatever it was they were doing to watch the moon landing, you know? So clearly there was something in you that uh, had an eye for, well, one important historical offense, but, <laughs> but, uh, that, that I don't know everyone should probably watch, but but also for for art and for cinema, right? That didn't seem, it wasn't shared by the rest of your family. You just sort of found it on the television. Uh, the, the closest was, I guess, would be my mom mm -hmm. because she right, would watch right. those movies in the morning. Um, she's the one who took me to see El Cid, She's the one who took me to the drive-in for the wonderful double feature, Pollyanna followed by Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> What's the theme there? Movies that wow. start with P? <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> and, and we went to the drive-in to watch Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, oh that's, that's fun. Actually, I remember you showing me Lawrence of Arabia. Uh -huh. uh, oh, what, what was that like watching yeah. on a uh, standard definition TV set, Longino? It was different. I mean, let me tell you. I, so I quite enjoyed the movie, but um, I, it was a yes. Obviously, on a television, it's a it's a very different experience. I I years later actually saw it projected in a theater oh, in nice. Panorama in Panorama, and I saw it again, and I said, "Oh, okay, it's, I see what the deal." It is, is an amazing movie. Yeah, it's in incredible. Panorama. I I think both that and two thousand one are two mm -hmm. films that when I saw them in a cinema had a had a very different experience that was like this. I don't actually say this often, but it's like, this is the way this is meant to be seen. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And seeing I mean, it in your home is almost like a disservice. Yeah. Like. But I also grow, grew up in a different era, right. different kind of era. Mm -hmm. um, there was a movie theater two miles from my house. And even in elementary school, I would walk to that theater by myself and right. watch a movie by myself. Right. That's and and parents wouldn't let their kids do that anymore. No, no, no not at all. Are you yeah. kidding yeah, me? You, no, I wouldn't let my child would, out of the house to watch one of these <laughs> deadly, awful movies with drugs and rape and <laughs> glorification of violence against police officers. <laughs> no, but you're you're totally right. That is a, a very uh, clear example of how times change and how attitudes change. Because yes, you were you were able to take a bit of money, go down to sit down a few miles and go see whatever movie you wanted sort of unsupervised, which in, you know, in, in hindsight, some people might think that's dangerous or whatever, but I actually think that's kind of great because it teaches you sort of independence and self-reliance and, um, well, that's sort I'm, of like I'm letting envious, honestly, like, you're letting your daughter Leela now go two miles to watch a movie by herself. Yeah. Well, We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I talk to talk, but but also you lived in a. Unfortunately, I live in a place where you know there's like uh, drug use and and homeless encampments uh, a few feet from our house. So I'm a little less like go see the world. Yeah, go see, go, <laughs> Lila, go out to the world. You know? Go see. It. Well, Dad, have you found? I mean, this is a unique situation where you 
or unique for us in that you have experienced a whole uh, spectrum of uh, cinema experience from you know, skipping down the road two miles to go see a movie to then as we're going to watch tonight, this film being available on television to then cable being coming up to then streaming services coming up. And now you and I could sit here in this room, name probably any movie in existence and within a few minutes be watching it. Uh, like which era to you have you enjoyed or like what, what has the most value? Well, I, I remember certainly enjoying as a kid you could see Wizard of Oz once a year. Yes. They would show like it an annually. Event. And so it became sort of an event. Um, I remember standing in line for Jaws, mm-hmm. a long line. You don't have that anymore because they're showing them multiple times at every single theater. Right. So you can just walk in. So part of the um, event of it and the specialness of it is sort of, eroded away i mean i had as much fun watching uh there will be blood just because at the beginning of the movie i recall that there's no dialogue for like the first 10 to 15 minutes yeah but you get a great sense of what this character is and i was just like okay you go wherever you want to go i'm with you right yeah yeah, I know what you mean. There, there's sort of that occasional film that that cuts through mm-hmm. that and and actually gives you a mm-hmm. like a oh wow kind of an experience. And and most movies are shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no argument here. That's critic <laughs> Bob Longino has gone on record as saying most movies are shit. You have a right to be wrong. Yeah. Well, here's a actually I have a question. When Put you, it in the book. When you, when you were you know criticking for for professional reasons, what was one of your favorite critic experiences? I mean, besides you know dressing down George Lucas at Skywalker Ranch, what what other kind of experiences as a movie critic did you know? Do you remember fondly? Well, I remember, um, and and I seeing Apocalypse Now redo. I was watching that. Um, and I'd seen the other movie, loved the movie, and we go through the helicopter sequence. All of a sudden, I realize I'm standing up. <laughs> this was in and the I theater? I didn't know that. This was in the theater. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, the first time I ever saw Psycho, actually, when, when we were taken to the drive-in, Pollyanna was on first. All we, uh, The kids all fell asleep, and then the parents watched Psycho. <laughs> but when I watched Psycho on TV... And in the end, when she's down in the basement and crazy Norman Bates is there, I stood up. Oh, that's good fun. Right. I found myself standing. And that, to me, says something about the quality of the movie. If they can get a physical reaction out of you. Yeah. I didn't know that was your tell, standing up. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's amazing. No, the other, the other sort of tell that I, I liked was watching a film... If the side sort of evaporated away and you felt like I'm living this experience, mm-hmm. that would say something to me. It's interesting the films you're naming because I have memories of you sort of ushering me into similar experiences. I remember when we got our sound system for the first time, Dad uh-huh. put on Apocalypse Now. Oh. And I'd never seen it. And so I remember the, the beginning with This is the End and the helicopters. And we had never had this viewing experience of like the 
and the and the chopper blades are going from like left to right in our uh, den. Right. And I'm hearing surround sound of a film, and that's the first time I ever saw Apocalypse Now. And then for Psycho, yeah, you and Mom sort of recreated that experience for me, where they they were wise enough to show it to me before I knew anything about it. <laughs> so I I sort of had the rare privilege uh, that most in my generation I don't think ever had to actually see Psycho like in the dark and be shocked <laughs> before you knew you know, yeah. at, at its revelations. And you do have to be careful because I sat John and Daniel down uh, one day. And showed them Bicycle Thieves. Oh. Um, they were too young. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they kept running around the house going, Le Bicycle, Le Bicycle. <laughs> I mean, we, were making, second, we must have I thought you were like, going to say they were too young, like they were going to break down in tears. No, but. it was like we were bored. Yes, we, uh, that makes, so we were. I think probably like eight and ten. That, or that makes or much t- more sense to me now. Yes. No, it's it's sort of a notorious thing in our family that Dad showed us an Italian near realism film, <laughs> and we were both like hated the movie, and we're just like, this is so boring. Why'd you show us this? This is bad. Made fun of him for years. And then when I was in college, they showed us the Bicycle Thief in a in a course. And as a as a much older person, I watched it and went, "Oh, this is this is actually pretty good." Because <laughs> I had never seen it since childhood, so I, I called my dad and was like, "You were right. Yeah. It was, it's a good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm yep. sorry. We've made fun of you yeah, for that's, a decade. That's, that's one of those." Uh, <laughs> Every generation, you you know, you have to call your parents up and admit that Bicycle Thieves was a good movie. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, Dad, the, the film we're going to watch today, mm-hmm. The Vikings, I'm curious, before we go and watch it, do you have any specific memories of scenes or moments in the film? I, I remember Disfigurement. <laughs> he loves I the remember, Disfigurement. I remember a hand getting cut off. Nice. Okay. I remember being fed to dogs. <laughs> This this disfigurement thing really is uh, haunted you. Wow. Well, you were what? You said you were like eight, nine, or ten. Yeah. You came out of this movie, and obviously it has scarred you for life. Is it one of those that you like, you know, you went back to the schoolyard and said to everybody, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe it. This dude got his hand cut off on the Vikings, man. Is it that kind of a movie? Uh, No, the only person I ever remember discussing that the movie with was Tony Curtis. What? Well, oh, huh? Because no. we you were keep burying in... the lead on these things, man. <laughs> you, for a journalist, yeah, you, so you, you bury have, the you, lead a lot. <laughs> you have interviewed uh, someone in this film, so. Well, in a different context. In a different context. First, in this, uh, in the context of the Vikings, uh, we lived in Seattle, um, and then there was a notice that at the bookstore, Tony Curtis was there to sign copies of his autobiography which i think had been released like five times (laughs) but i'm like oh there's tony curtis let's go and my memory is that i took you and dan with me or maybe not i don't maybe i don't i don't remember but in going through and him signing the book that we bought and then i mean i knew the answer to this but i just wanted to see what he would do and so i asked him in the vikings when they cut off your hand after that, <laughs> how, you know, what, what what did y'all do to make the hand disappear? So, of course, he stands right up, lowers his long sleeve shirt to cover up his hand and stands there proudly. <laughs> so he tucked his hand into his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if you see the film, 
you might notice that one arm is longer than the other. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that was hardly the only, I mean, up until the, uh, you know, the eighties or nineties, that was the only trick people had <laughs> either that or actually like <laughs> right. twin peaks right. getting yes. somebody who was actually missing the limb. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you they couldn't computer out his hand, so like what? And they're obviously not going to chop it off. That's funny that he mimed it to in the bookstore. Uh, that, he yeah. sounds like a funny guy. Well, that's he is a flirt. Sure, <laughs> he's he's one of those. I did interview him years later in Atlanta. They were doing a uh, a new theatrical version of Some Like It Hot as a musical, and oh, nice. I spent time with him. As I was interviewing him in a hotel lobby, when people would walk by, uh, he would turn to he'd like he turned to this woman and said, "Oh, good morning, darling. We were just talking about you." I mean, he, he just a total total flirt. But the the thing I thought was funny was uh, after our interview, they came and told him it is time for lunch, and he said, "Would you like to come to lunch?" And I'm, of course, I'd love to come to lunch. We go to lunch. And there is this table full of radio winners. They won a contest to have a lunch with Tony Curtis. Oh, man. He sits down. He's regaling them for more than an hour with stories and laughter and love you all. And we get up and, and the people wave by and he blows them kisses. And we walk away and he turns to me and said, who the fuck were those people? <laughs> Oh, like he didn't even know about the contest? No, he didn't know who those people were. He had no idea. Who the fuck are those people? He's like, why am I seated with all these people? (laughs) Why is it everywhere I go there's people wanting a piece of me? (laughs) That's great. But had no problem holding court. Oh, no, not at all. Jack Nicholson said it best. I, I, you know, once I heard him say this, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Jack Nicholson said at one point, most celebrities meet more people in a year than most people meet in their entire lives. And I, I'm right. sure. Yeah. So here's the chief question, though, Dad. Uh, when's the last time you saw the Vikings? 19, what, 60, whatever it was when I was eight. You've only seen it the one time. The initial viewing. Yeah. Yeah. I've okay. seen like a clip or so of it, but. No, that's not since you were eight years old. Correct. Okay. Eight, nine or ten. That's this is well, this has got to be a hold up record (laughs) because let's just say it's between 50 and 60 years where we won't out your age, but uh, we're talking multiple decades. Yeah. Since multiple, multiple decades. That's crazy. uh, Over half a century. Does it hold up? To what an eight-year-old boy saw. <laughs> that, you, have, you have read my mind. That was my question. Do you think the Vikings is going to hold up? Well, you know, if you look in the annals of film, it's not talked about much. So I have right. my doubts. <laughs> right. He's but just I know like John that the, Longinow. <laughs> I, I know that the effort was there. Kirk Douglas made this movie happen. Right. Passion project from him. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I hey, we got to give him credit because he gave you know uh, Stanley Kubrick quite Cry, a directing yes. job. Yes, he so. started Stanley Kubrick. So way to go, Kirk Douglas. All right. So but you're you leaning more hold towards up? holding up, or I'm I'm afraid that it's not going to hold <laughs> up as well. Okay. Okay. 
Uh, John Nelson, what do you think? Is the Vikings going to hold up? Well, uh, I have nothing to base on except, you know, everything Bob has told us here today. There is a thing about certain vintage movies with certain stars that even if the movie isn't all that great, the experience of watching it is still usually something. So I'm going to, for me, I'm going to guess that it's going to hold up if only because it's it's one of those classic era movies that I haven't seen yet and those are always sort of impressive to watch so I'm, I'm gonna teeter toward it holds up for that reason and also for my dad who was uh Swedish and uh who I believe is now finally looking down from Valhalla at me and saying oh good he's finally gonna watch the Vikings mm-hmm. good for you son so uh I'm gonna say optimistically that it'll hold up for me that's what I'll say fabulous uh, I so I actually know a great little about this film other than what we've discussed and the uh, actors therein uh, but I will say because we have a film in which someone loses a limb <laughs> a hand and then the way it is portrayed in the movie that he has to do as an actor is hide it in a sleeve <laughs> instant hold up <laughs> I'm not even remotely concerned <laughs> that sounds like that will be a time to watch but uh, in all seriousness uh, dynamite actors uh, all across the board i mean i i'm not expecting some bad movie i i think this will be fun to watch i think it will hold up i am confident i'm hey i'm excited this is great let's let's go be men together and watch the vikings and slay our enemies i am ready and we will be right back. For the first time, the saga of the mighty Viking hordes who swept across the world, breaking every commandment of heaven and earth as they put an age to the torch. If you touch me, I'll kill myself. There's a sword to do it with. Because I'm going to touch you. Come on! Kick! Bite! Scratch! Fight. I will not lift one finger to resist you. To a Viking, there was no life except life in battle. There was no death except death in battle. There were no women except women taken in battle. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the Vikings. Odin! We have breached the castle. Uh, Bloodshed has happened. It has been a time. Uh, Nelson and Dad, how are you doing? How did it feel watching a movie that you've only seen one other time decades ago? It felt long. (laughs) (laughs) Long? All right, well, here, hey, this is a rare occasion where we actually have a film critic yeah. With us. So let's say you were you were writing the first paragraph of your review. Oh shit. What's what are what are your film critic thoughts coming out of the movie? Well, you're rushing it a little bit. I wouldn't be writing yet. I would still be thinking and contemplating yes. for at least a day and a half. <laughs> That's not I what we start. do. It's all hot take city here, yeah, right it's off all the like dome. Hot takes, no revisions. <laughs> the first thing that stumbles out of your mouth, incoherent, half-formed thoughts. That's what we yes. excel at. But no, I hear you are still digesting the film, and then you would come arrive at your critical analysis uh, right, in a given right. time. I can tell you that I was having thoughts as things were happening um i kept thinking about 
Alexander Nevsky, mm-hmm. which is a 1938 Russian film, uh-huh. which has a terrific sort of getting ready for battle sequence. I kept thinking about when they were shooting arrows at the boat, I kept thinking about the opening of Gladiator when they were shooting <laughs> fire yeah. arrows. Um, I thought a lot about Braveheart. Oh. And I was thinking about why those movies were better. <laughs> not not sure, that I'm sure. saying that this movie is bad. It I, is what it is. Yes. There were moments that were excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some lull down times <laughs> that was like, well, yeah. There, the uh, there was a great moment where uh, three generation of Longinos briefly were watching this film. My, my daughter got <laughs> home and joined us for a time. And then uh, it <laughs> happened to get to the bits where it's getting a little questionable with Kirk Douglas and Janet Lee. Getting a little uh, rapey getting, is what she yes, means to say. Get, getting, uh, getting a lot of sexual assaulty. And then uh, my daughter very wisely said, I'm going to go to my room and yeah, stop watching. She lying. became uncomfortable. I'm yes. already had it with this movie. <laughs> so she... that was her review. I'm out of here. You know, that was, was fair. <laughs> she checked out at a good time. No, I, I, I agree with Bob. I think there's lots of things to, um, to recommend about this movie, but I do feel like sort of overall the parts are not greater than the whole. So if you want, we can talk about some of them parts. Sure. Well, here, before we get into the analysis, let me just chime in with, that was a great fucking time. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's childhood, John, but like everything you sold me on, yes. like it's violence, it's mayhem, <laughs> it's uh, just senseless slaughter and brutality. <laughs> I loved that shit. Like to me, it, it was it was a silly, fun, crazy movie. It knew how to open. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it literally, the credits faded, and immediately it, it was, was bloodlust and fire. Well, and Orson Welles narrating it, which is yes. like. You can't go wrong with blood, guts, and Norse and Wells. <laughs> so I will give the child's perspective on the movie that's not my more intelligent daughter, but I, in fact mine. But <laughs> I can sense why, as an eight, nine, or ten-year-old, that I was kind of enthralled by yeah. it. Yeah. I can tell that. Yeah, it was fun. But anyway, but by all means, gentlemen, the analysis of, of what wasn't working for you. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I was disappointed in with this movie, which is uh, Tony Curtis did not have a lot to do. Uh, <laughs> I feel like he was just sort of like, okay, well, we need the plot device to come in, so re-enter Tony Curtis. And, you know, he got to, you know, he was just sort of like the, I'm a protagonist, I guess. And so, he does, you know, the stuff that Tony Curtis does best, which is either, you know, like you say, sort of, playing to the crowd or being kind of funny or being charming and handsome or what, you know, none of those, none of those skills got used. It's just sort of like, Hey, look at me and my steely blue eyes (laughs) as they, you're you're right. He did seem a little bored. (laughs) Or, or could it be that Kirk Douglas made sure that Tony wasn't front and center? Well, that could be when you're the producer and the star that does uh, pose a danger. I mean, there's a lot of tea leaves to read. As we were watching the film, we were sort of looking into the Janet Lee, Tony Curtis history, and we were like, oh, had, had, did Jamie Lee Curtis been born by this point? What was going on with them? One of the things we did discover is they had been married for something like seven years, and they actually end up divorcing about three years after this film. So perhaps, 
uh, I don't know. Maybe there was a bit of strife on set, or a bit. <laughs> well, of, I, I, mean, I don't I'm know actually, the situation. But. I'm guessing this this movie gets cast the way it gets cast because the public knows and probably loves them as a couple. Right. So them being in this movie together is obviously not an accident. So I'm I'm guessing that's one of those like, hey, we got to get those two lovebuds in this movie together, which then sort of leads to uh, you know the plot becoming like well he's he's the hero even if he's not the star because and they're going to end up together because the audience wants them to be together type thinking you know back in the 50 i mean it still happens today but it seemed to happen much more back in the golden age of hollywood when they'd say well if such and such are together in real life then we want them to be together in this film and if they don't end up together in this film then it's a real like uh uh, rug yank but i i think you're right in that kirk douglas interestingly is the main is the you know the star of the film he's in most of the film but he's obviously also the bad guy which is interesting Because that, that is intriguing. They, or is he misunderstood? <laughs> no, I'm pretty Maybe sure. Maybe in his movie, he's the hero. I mean, he gets the Viking send off and the big it's funeral. He is. Well, Give he, the he man is shocked to learn. Yeah, no, that, that, that is super fascinating to me. This, it, To be clear, this is a Kirk Douglas production. His name is literally on the credits as the producer and, and sort of man who made sure this movie happened. It is right. fascinating that he would cast himself in the rapist, uh, <laughs> just asshole, drunken kind of well, scumbag the bravura, role. The Bravura role. Yeah. Yes, yes. And yeah, I guess he, perhaps he sees it, like we're saying, as heroic or as he's, he's sort of, he's a warrior and a, a stout heart. And I don't know, when he's throwing axes at a woman's face, it's a little like... <laughs> <laughs> they have this bizarre, like, we'll test and see if you are, were a, a good wife or not. Or, like, d- did you commit infidelity? Were you faithful? Yes. And they take um, this woman and put her in a pillory. And her <laughs> poor husband is throwing axes at her. And Kirk Delos steps in. Like, I don't think I've had enough to drink. <laughs> and, like, throws all the axes at her. That is not, like, a heroic thing. It's just very interesting. No, they, very and they manly. Hmm. Well, yeah, I think they're playing him to be like manly and daring do and macho and all that. And I think they're sort of asking you to accept that like, well, the Vikings uh, were bullies and they went off and raped and pillaged. But for this movie, you're just going to have to accept that (laughs) if you're going to enjoy the next couple hours because they're the heroes of this. And they pull that trick where like, oh, well, you know, they're fighting against uh, this king in England and the king in England. Well, he's a real asshole. I mean, not oh, not like our the best. Our, yeah, not like our <laughs> the good fucking best. That actor, <laughs> like 10 out of 10. He was great. I, we had seen him before. He played Pontius Pilate and Ben-Hur. I yes. forgot the gentleman's name F- for uh, for pretty much pretty much the same performance, which is yeah, Effet uh, and uh uh, condescending and <laughs> just uh, oh, yeah. a miserable just scumbag. Yeah, exactly. In a movie full of scumbags, he was the scummiest. So nice oh, trick yes. there. I wondered if Kirk Douglas felt that Janet Lee secretly loved him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so this is a bit of like uh, life imitates art or art <laughs> imitates life. Like you think he actually. Well, not not as actor, but the character. Oh, okay. Yes. I could see that. Uh, yeah, so there was a plot in the movie in which 
Tony Curtis and Kirk Douglas both fell in love with Janet Lee almost at first sight. And it's <laughs> well, a situation she's like Helena Troy, but in yes. Viking land. She's repulsed by Kirk Douglas and in love with Tony Curtis, but both men have a quest to sort of rescue her and be with her, which ultimately leads to this grand finale sort of sword fight duel they have. But dad, I sort of agree with you. Like you, you think he had a bit of Sean Connery pussy galore. Like she actually <laughs> oh, kind of wants this way of looking. I at mean, it. I think his old ad- his character's attitude would be, how could she not want me? Right. Yeah. We should address the story. The whole story of this uh, uh, thing is that the Vikings are sort of at war with the English and uh, one of the English, I don't even know what you'd call it, one of the lands in England, there's a king, and uh, he sort of ascended past... I'd say like uh, a fiefdom? Yeah, a fiefdom. Because this, sort- this is before like the uh, united Great Britain. This is like every section of the country has its own king, essentially. Right. And this particular king sort of got to ignore the uh, the line of lineage and, and skip the line and become king because the last king died and his queen didn't have a male heir, uh, except that she got impregnated by Ernest Borgnine and, you know, during the, the pillaging of their fiefdom. And... So now she carries the secret. This is the now this is the part where it starts to get a little murky. She's like, well, because she's the male heir born of me, the queen, technically that makes him the king, even though he is very obviously the Vikings kid. So they they were playing yes. a little loosey goosey with the this is uh, Tony Curtis, right? yes, with the lineage. So Tony Curtis uh, ends up being the son of both the queen and the king of the Vikings, Ernest Borgnine which makes him technically a half-brother to Kirk Douglas. And Kirk Douglas is the Viking prince. He's going to take over when, when Dad dies. And there is a whole like plot going on about the woman, the, about Janet Lee's character, where she's going to marry the king to basically you know he's he's using her to establish himself as king like forevermore to basically lock, lock his position yes. down. He's sort of like a Prince John usurper. Not actual heir to the throne, but because the queen died technically without an heir, yeah, he's sort of like taking over. So he's using her to lock everything down. The Vikings, they basically, they've decided that they're going to kidnap her to ransom her. And at first that seems to be the only interest they have is like, well, we'll just get a lot of money out of it. And then both of uh, Kirk Douglas and and, uh, Tony Curtis fall in love with her at the same time. So then the whole thing spins around to be like, well, now it's just a race to see who can get her first. And then the English get involved somehow. And I don't know. It gets a little confusing because the whole (laughs) line of ascension things gets sort of like left in the background, except... Wherever Tony Curtis is involved, it's like, <gasps> gasp, Tony Curtis, the son of the king, or, you know, whatever. So it, it, the the through line is a little bit uh, soft, let's say. It, I think it's, within that era, if, uh, if they knew about Tony Curtis, he would have been killed. <laughs> right, because it's not so it's not a plot where he's suddenly becomes king of England or whatever. Right, like yeah, that's true. It, it's it seemed more important in it's almost like his his brother connection to Kirk Douglas was the most story impactful. Right. Because he, he Kirk Douglas sort of learns this information from Janet Lee right before the big, you know, final showdown. Right. He's your brother. And then they have this big fight, and then in a moment where Kirk Douglas seemingly has won this match. 
he hesitates. And I, I, I can only assume, and it seems to indicate that he's thinking about the fact that this is his brother. He sees the you know same kind of warrior within him and <laughs> hesitates. And then Tony Curtis, who knows nothing about this, just kills him, essentially. Right. Um, so that that I think is how that plot is meant to pay off. But I agree. You, normally, when you'd have like they're an heir to a throne, you you would presume that would be important, or they would take the throne, or, or that would be settled in some way. But it's not. What happened to the English guy who knew all <laughs> along and was holding it for off. his own benefit? <laughs> he he yeah, was disappeared. Yeah. He sort of vanished. There was a well, you know, he laid his plot down, and then yeah, but he was <laughs> super bid, bid important through the whole thing. He was always <laughs> present. There was this guy. There's this Englishman who uh, I forget how he got it. Like he basically was accused by the king of working with the vikings and put in prison he says oh no i'm not working with the vikings and then the vikings rescue him and and sure enough he's been working with them the whole time which i thought was very funny because it's like the whole thing was played like oh this man was unjustly accused it's like no he's totally completely on their side and he's the one who sort of says stuff like oh well we should kidnap the princess because then you can ransom her and things like he's sort of the uh, English advisor to the King of the Vikings, to Ernest Borgnine. He's like Littlefinger or something. Like yes. Put, putting plots in motion. Yeah, he keeps putting plots in motion, and then he's sort of yeah, he's sort of important in getting everything started, and then, yeah, Bob's right. He just sort of disappears <laughs> whenever it's convenient for him to disappear. He never plays into anything. You have to wonder if towards the end of production, he was like, Mr. Douglas, I will not take these notes anymore. And he's like, well, we don't, we don't need you. Like, fuck you. And like, he just is suddenly like absent. I could see that. Maybe. I, I'm I just, just yeah, I mean, get clutching at straws. But maybe. I mean, I'm thinking to myself too, I'm trying to give room because it's like, we're so used to things like Game of Thrones and Succession. We've, you know, we as an audience have gotten very used to following yeah. the chain of, uh, royalty down the line and you know we we've seen this play out quite a few times so you know in the 50s when they were trying to keep it simple for their audience i can see why they could you know would maybe pull back on that but it is interesting that they introduce this stuff but then don't pay it off yeah i mean the plot's there to for them to fight right like that's <laughs> right <laughs> the the central conceit of the whole thing is brother versus brother over one woman yes that's it yeah everything else eh yeah, George R. 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 Martin, this is not. <laughs> it's just... There is a lot of stuff I like about this film, and that is the kind of the spectacle before mm -hmm. the fighting. I mean, because like they built these boats, these Viking boats, and they apparently used the original blueprints of these Viking boats so that they're based in reality. And so yes. you've got these beautiful Viking boats sailing through Norway with, you know, the mountains in the background and the fjords and, you know, and at the and this is over the title credits. And Longino was like, see, this ain't no CGI bullshit. This they made a boat and they took it to Norway and they filmed it sailing, which I agree. Yeah, they just filmed the damn boat. It looked awesome. It looked great. I mean, all the stuff, all the spectacle, the, the look of things, the production design, all that stuff was great. That was what felt like those old Hollywood classics, the Ben-Hurs, the Spartacuses. You know, that's that was where it really excelled was the, the look of things. And the fights were interesting until a certain point because, you know, they would start getting, like you say, they had these like getting ready to go to war and they're dragging like a battering rams up a hill. And you're like, oh, man, shit's going to go down. And then they start the fighting and then... And I know it's the 50s, but even other movies in the 50s were better at this. They would, like, throw axes at things, and the axes would sort of 
bounce off sometimes. Or the spears <laughs> would sort of bounce off sometimes. Yeah. Or someone would get hit by something, but it was bloodless, and you didn't really see them getting hit. And <laughs> that's where they seemed to cheap out is like all sense of realism in this war stuff. Uh, I, and I, I oddly find that kind of stuff charming. I understand <laughs> it is a little low rent in terms of production, but there's something kind of like backyard home movie sure. wrestling about it that I sort of But if appreciate. like Spartacus and Ben-Hur can do it, then surely this movie could have tried to do it too. It's It's just that, you know, that's perhaps where the limitations kicked in. I don't know. Not sure what the armory budget was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I it's what's odd during all those fight scenes watching it. I just kept going like, man, this looks like so much fun. Like I was just <laughs> like, I was like, I would love to be an extra in this dumb shit, right. running around dodging plastic arrows and like acting like I was cool. Right. Like I, I don't know. It looked fun. <laughs> well, I can I, I get the little theater aspect of it. That that you're you're certainly right on there. Yes. Yes. Actually, theater is a great way to put it. I think there's. I I mean, I am a theater kid, right? So there is a bit about this time of movie making that I really find appealing and I always really enjoy. And it's sort of a lost kind of way to make movies. <laughs> this very like master shot, tracking shot. One, they, the, one of the first scenes in the movie is one shot for 95% of the scene and it's lit like beautifully and it's essentially like a stage play Yes, as the camera sort of like tracks and follows. And yeah. I, I quite like that for some reason. I love these sort of, I mean, for lack of a better word, like flat or painting-like <laughs> kind of depictions of what is clearly just a set, right. lit, pretty, um, and people <laughs> being very, very actory in front of said sets. Right. Like the Pontius Pilate guy, primo example, he is not giving a subtle film <laughs> performance where the, you know you can whisper your lines type thing. Or it, there's, it's not like a grounded, naturalistic. He is theater. You know? yes, it's like he very is. much. That's true. As he wiggles his fingers, and waves uh, people off. Yeah, yeah it's just, just very, very over the top. And I think that the whole movie's got really Tony Curtis and Janet Lee are probably the only people playing it fairly muted or, or like straight. Like they're, they're it's not true. overacting. Right? Yeah. They're kind of, they're actually married. They're giving like a fairly naturalistic performance. But Kirk Douglas and the rest, <laughs> oh well, boy. Like. <laughs> it makes kind of sense, though, that the English people would be more muted and the Vikings would be a little bit more, you know, yeah. hail and, and rough and tumble. Dad, I'd like to know in terms of now, you know, when you saw this, you were a kid, mm -hmm. but now having seen it with much more of a knowledge of like film and history and, and obviously you experience all this stuff. How does this movie relate to other films that were like it of the time? Because I don't as much have a sort of a, a comparison. Like to me, it's 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 an old movie that we've plucked out. But like, is it better than movies of that time? Is it worse? Like, what what were the strengths and weaknesses for when it came out? Well, you're talking about it's a, a, the same era as Charlton Heston's Ben Hur, mm -hmm. which yes. wasn't such a great plot wise movie, but action, yeah, was. Yeah extreme and very very well it's an done. incredible movie yeah. um i mean you're talking about there's a bunch of movies from that era that are much better there's a lot of movies from that era era that are much worse <laughs> right. um, so it's kind of like well yeah you could call this um 
partially watchable. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the the tagline at the top yeah. of the review yeah. that's forming <laughs> in your mind? But I, but I understand your 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 whole idea of you would have liked to have performed in the action sequences. Oh yeah. That just reminded me of I had to do an interview one time uh with this guy who played a prince in some movie that no one should ever care about. <laughs> However, he was one of the soldiers in 28 days later uh when they're at the sort of military facility. Yes. He is also the soldier who's up against the window when the um Come, when they come crashing through, spill blood all over right. him, and he becomes one of the zombies. Yes. So we talk for like 20 minutes about that one particular scene and how much fun it must have been because, look, you're, you're there. You get, the, you get vomited on by a, <laughs> by a running, crazed zombie. Right. That must have just been cool. And that, That's to right. me, relates to what you were talking about. Yes. Yeah. Did you feel that way as a kid? Like did, did oh, like yeah, after yeah. this you it wanted, was like you and your oh, brothers you grabbed to fight. shields and swords and went for it like <laughs> that kind of thing. Remember when you and Dan saw, first saw that Bogart movie, which the Big Sleep? Uh, I guess it was the Big Sleep. Which whichever one where he's outside and oh, he's yeah. going, "Hey Eddie, who's it going to be? <laughs> you or me?" Yes, and y'all were doing that after the movie. Yes, that, <laughs> my brother and I thought this was like the greatest thing in the world. And we probably reenacted it like 5,000 times. How, <laughs> how old were you when you saw that? That was in Seattle. So okay. I think Dan would have been like maybe six. You would have been eight. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. That's even better well, that you guys go. were watching a, a bogey movie at, you know, six and eight. Absolutely. I mean, so these are, are, are foundational memories. I mean, literally in my house right now, as you enter the front door, there is a big sleep poster hanging <laughs> as we speak. Uh, so yeah, that, I love that movie. It's still one of my favorite movies and a, a lot of it. Yes. It, I mean, obviously over the years I've gone back and watched it and seen it as a great movie, but at when you're eight years old, <laughs> when you're eight gangsters years old, gunning each other down, it's pretty cool. I mean, there's adults can't follow the plot of that one. Probably me among them. And, uh, so yeah, I can't imagine an eight year old was like, yeah, I get that. Who killed I think the that's chauffeur? That's part of the fun. I mean, uh, Nelson, you know me in plots of movies, so that's <laughs> probably true. where I get it. I'm like Raymond Chandlered up, like. Yes. I think to put the Vikings in context, as you and Dan were growing up, think of all the movies that I showed you that I yes. sat down with you and said, "We need to watch this." Yes. Did you ever see the Vikings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. So that's my feeling about the movie is it's not it's not a a a must watch classic. No, but in terms of here's the thing. So I I really enjoyed watching it because to me it was a lot of fun. Like I wasn't holding it up to it needs to be this epic incredible movie. I quite liked. In ways, I liked the amateurishness of parts of it uh, in a weird way. Like, it was fun for me. And this is very true of me. Like, I like moments more than I like the totality of things. Like, mm -hmm. like something that has one incredible moment will get me by through hours of bad shit. <laughs> and, this, <laughs> and this movie had enough of these, like, moments. Like, I'm thinking of Ernest Borgnine 
about to be fed to a vicious pack of dogs. <laughs> and then he begs, like, please give me my sword. I want to die a Viking. And Tony Curtis dramatically cuts him open. And he grabs his sword. And in the most, like, Ernest Bornine-ass scene, just goes like, yeah! <laughs> like, dives into the dogs. That was awesome. There's a line from Kirk Douglas where he, she says, I, uh, Janet Lee tells him, I hate you. And then he says, well, if I can't have your love... I'll take your hate. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, that's great. So like there, there was, I don't know. There was just enough of these moments that I was like, this movie's great. Like <laughs> despite the fact that they row a boat for 45 straight minutes as we're all sitting there bored. <laughs> See, there's a thing though about that. And it reminds me of the time we went back and watched gone with the wind, which is, there's the things that people do in the movie, right? And you justify them because it's like, well, that was the time or that was the arena that they're in. It makes sense that Vikings were dicks. Uh, yes. Does the movie think Kirk Douglas is awesome? Because it kind of wants to have its cake and eat it too, right? It's like, well, he's kind of vile, but he's kind of cool though, right? Am I right, fellas? So I'm what, and, and you know, we had the same problem. I had the same problem with Gone with the Wind, which I was like, well, all these people are scumbags. But the movie doesn't seem to be saying they're scumbags. The movie seems to be saying, oh, these poor, you know, trod upon rich people. It's uh, we should feel real bad for them. And I guess what I'm asking is, does this movie have that? Does it genuinely have that problem where the intent doesn't match what it's kind of throwing at the audience? I guess. What do you think? You Bob? cannot ha you cannot have a Kirk Douglas movie where he isn't grand. Right. Right. That's just that's just his personality. That's his shtick. That's true. I, I, I would agree. I, I think the, the the portrayal was one of, yes, he has some questionable moments, but given it's a Kirk Douglas production, you know, I, I think the taboo things he was doing with us sitting here watching it in 2023 uh, are like deplorable right like uh sure. rapist <laughs> assaulter <laughs> these are things it's like okay well now now you're just done you're scum but it's but, not exclusive to this movie i mean oh not it not was at all everywhere. not at all i and i agree with you i think they're looking at it as like well he's kind of a scallywag <laughs> I mean, it's but, he, but he's yeah, well, I mean, scoundrel. Yeah. I would I would say at the time it's true. The people watching the movie, women included, would probably be like, "Well, it's too bad she doesn't want to have sex with him." But oh well, sometimes you just have to have sex with men who force themselves upon you. And, right. And you know, and there's I, sort of a, a you know a societal line in the sand where they're saying that's not good. Wink. Yes. So he is portrayed heroically. <laughs> Ernest Borgnine, no less than, I think, 5,000 times, says something like, my son, man, what a guy. Like, what a warrior. He's the best. He, he loves him and is enamored by him, right? Yes. Uh, Kirk Douglas is, is scored, shot, and given a Viking funeral like he is a hero. Right. So I, I think however we feel, I mean, obviously on paper, it's like, well, Tony Curtis is the hero. Kirk Douglas is the villain. The movie isn't acting that way, and yes. I think that's fair. I think they also indicated that Kirk Douglas sacrificed himself at the end. Yes. It was like a noble hero's death mm -hmm. to not kill his brother. <laughs> Which I is, agree. she doesn't really love me. I'm going to hesitate because I believe he is my brother. I see my father in him. Yes. <laughs> of course, we're reading a lot into that. Right? No, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> it's an odd movie where it's like, well, there's lots of 
bad guys, lots of good guys, and it's everybody's one. And there's no, except for the king who gets eaten by dogs. There's no like <laughs> one like loathsome villain except for him. And I think you know, I think you're right. This is sort of like budget OG Game of Thrones, right? Where it's <laughs> right. like complicated characters. A little rapey, <laughs> a lot of leering and questionable behavior by all. And uh, the, yeah, you're right. There aren't a lot of just clear, like straight up villains. I think the the uh, usurping king, you know, who is the the sort of villainous actor we were talking about, it's about as close as you get to just pure villain. Yeah. But everyone else is, is I, I mean, I hate to say complicated. I don't think they're thinking that much about it, but it's sort of they do good things. They do bad things. Right. You know, they're all interesting. Sorry, I keep laughing now because you've evoked the the king, and I'm just like, <laughs> in thinking of the theatricality that you enjoy so much, you could practically put like, whenever he comes on screen, you could put like a sign over his head says "Boo hiss." <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it's yes, it's like wrestling. It's like yes. pro wrestling opera theater for yeah. sure. If I had to garner a big criticism against the Vikings, it's. Not an original, thought-provoking, great movie. <laughs> right. Like it, it is. It's you know a Big Mac, basically. <laughs> like, it's well, like, and apparently hey. it became like it, it was a popular enough movie that they had a couple of TV shows based on it. Tales from the Vikings, I think, was one of them. Mm -hmm. When you say Big Mac, I think that's a good analogy. It's like, well, here's this thing. It's empty and easily imitatable, so they did yep. imitate it, right? They just brought it to TV and did the same thing. Well, it's also interesting for me to see this film now because in the last few years, this is mainly in the sort of video game arena, but I've lived this experience where everyone's starting to pull from Viking mythology and, and tell Viking tales. I mean, between right. between Thor and Marvel, <laughs> and then there was an Assassin's Creed called Assassin's Creed Valhalla right? that was all about Viking stuff. And then just this past year, uh, video game God of War Ragnarok came out. Same thing. I mean, it's it, it's almost like I had this primer when I was watching this movie and they talk about, oh, Odin, and, you know, like, oh, I must <laughs> die with my sword. I, at the time this released, I, I imagine many people weren't familiar with this stuff or as much so. But having seen it now, I know all this Viking lore. That's so true. it's not introducing me to that. I was like, oh, yes, of course, Odin. That's, yes, that, that's, Ragnarok comes. Yeah, that's true. It would be among the first to show like... Right. Viking, you know, and giving it a serious POV to it, like taking the Vikings point of view, because up till then, I'm sure it would be, oh, Vikings are like barbarians and they're monsters. And, you know, right. showing that they have their own society would be the interesting take on it. So right. they, I, you're probably right. Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting. The film wasn't, you know, uh, the noble British people defending themselves against the savage Viking attack. You, <laughs> you make a good point. It, it, the Vikings are the protagonists of the movie. Right. That is interesting. Which also explains the requirement that Orson Welles needs to come in and narrate <laughs> and bring you up to speed so yeah. that you understand what this tale is. This sort of is about. what Vikings are. <laughs> well, Dad, I do have one big question, and that is, do you think the Vikings held up to your viewing as a child? Well, for an eight-year-old or for someone who wants to feel like an eight-year-old. <laughs> As you look over yes. directly at me? <laughs> yes, I think on some level it holds up. It's not a really stupid, bad movie. It can, it does have quite a few boring moments. Right? <laughs> so it's middling. 
middling. Middling. Okay. Okay. So, so you're, hold not, you're up, not going. Sort of, one I'm way not or the not other. thumbs up, but not totally thumbs okay. down. Okay. All right. All right. Nelson, do you think the Vikings held up? Uh, well, I had a good time watching it, and and you know, f- there were things I liked about it. And now that you've made me consider that, like this would be the first version we'd seen of it, maybe I should give it a little bit of a bump. But I'm going to go with my feeling of doesn't hold up. Not because, again, it's not a bad movie. It's not. It, it's mostly just I fear I'm going to forget about it. <laughs> I fear that it's not going to stick in my brain like better movies do, like the Ben-Hurs and the Spartacuses. I mean, it's fine. It, it, it fills afternoons type of movie, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not the greatest. So I'll say doesn't hold up. Uh, for me, hell yeah, it held up. I had a great <laughs> time watching it. Uh, it also is, is worth mentioning, I did have a very nostalgic experience of, you know, my father and I typically are separated by um, over 3,000 miles. Right. And we get to see each other on occasion. But this brought me back to a time of sitting on the couch as a young man, watching movies with my dad and having fun and really enjoying it. So I actually really valued the experience and laughing with him and, and all the fighting <laughs> and uh, that kind of thing. And I just I just really had a great time. I, th- I think the way you watch movies and the experience you have can be affecting. Yeah. If I'd have watched The Vikings alone in the living room by myself <laughs> without you two and just sort of sat back and watched it, I don't know if I would have really liked it as much. I might have been like, man, this is boring. But Dude, total fairness, but, um, if my father mm-hmm. was still alive and I watched this with him, I would I probably would have loved it because my father would have been so excited. Yeah. And while we've had we've had this experience with better movies, <laughs> right, uh, right. we you know, we watched Ben Hur quite a bit and that's a great time. And I would argue that's that's objectively like a really good movie. Uh, for me, this is my first time ever seeing this and I really enjoyed the experience and I was laughing a lot and, and really liked it. So for me, it held up. Um not sure if I'm going to watch it with my daughter. Uh, she sort of rightfully <laughs> gave it an eye roll and, and left the proceedings, and I don't quite blame her. For that. Yeah, this is one of those times where it's like, oh, I like I said, I there were many times I almost rented it, and I'm glad I waited until now because <laughs> yes. this was the perfect venue for me. Awesome. Well, uh, Dad, Mr. Bob Longino, thank you so much for joining us this month on the Hold Up Podcast. Yes, I'm thank glad you. You were able to. to uh, my be here. pleasure. If you would like to reach us, uh, you can email us at holduppodcast at gmail.com, or you can also visit our website, holduppodcast.com, where you can find links to all of our social media pages. And until next time, nobody move, nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets hurt.